Good evening. Today is Tuesday, February 22nd, and we are studying the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. This week's chapter is into action, and the step is step eight. Our speaker tonight is Colleen T. Thank you, Colleen. Hi, everybody. My name is Colleen. I'm a compulsive overeater um, in recovery, thankfully. Um, thank you so much for allowing me to be here. I want to say thank you to Amy L., uh, who asked me to speak. And um, wow, it's, it's such an honor. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, to qualify, I've been abstinent since August 4th. I'm like, I have to think about this. August 4th, 2002. So I'm 19 and a half years abstinent. Um, my top weight that I know was over 300 pounds. Um, so I've been maintaining about 165 pound weight loss for probably 18 years or something. And I do have pictures to share. So let's see if I can do it successfully. Ha. Okay. So these are <laughs> my recovery pictures. Um, I'm pretty sure that I was a sugar addict right from the get-go. You can see <laughs> some of the remnants here and I was a bit of a troublemaker. Um, but my weight didn't really start to come on until I was around 10 years old. Um, and it, it pretty much steadily went up um, through middle school and then into high school and into college. And I was even a dancer all through high school, heaviest girl in the class, et cetera. Then into college. And then this is um, me at my college graduation Um right at the age of, I don't know, 22 or something like that. Um, and then it got even worse a couple of years out of, out of college, um, ever the bridesmaid, never the bride. And then just a few weeks before I came into OA, this picture was taken. I was a bridesmaid at one of my best friend's wedding. Um, and I was, I was in pieces. I was so like, this is it. I never would allow myself to break down very much, but I remember just being in a dark place at this time. And um, I was actually seeing a therapist at the time and she had said to me, um, you know, why don't you try OA? I'd never really heard of it. Well, no, I shouldn't say that. I'd been to a meeting once when I was in college and I went into the meeting um, and there were two women in there. One woman was a woman I knew from, um, uh, like the parish school that I went to, the church, she was one of the music. And so I knew her, my parents knew her, which was not a good thing anyways. But she always, she was kind of heavy. And then there was this girl who was like anorexic or something. who was a freaked out about like Thanksgiving and what she was going to eat. And all they did was talk about food. And I thought, I don't need this. Like I think about food all the time. Like <laughs> I just wasn't ready. Um, at that point, I probably had another hundred pounds to go. Um, but clearly I, I made my way up there. Um, I could have been more than 311, but 311 is the last number I see on any of my medical documentation. Um, so I went into the rooms and um, a lot of things transpired, but this is me. I, I used to be a school teacher. So probably about a month into program. Um, and then this was me after a year of abstinence. Um, this was me two years after abstinence. And then, um, you know, moving forward. So, and then this I put in here because this was, I went on to get my master's degree. And so 
you can't see, but my sister is also pictured with me, and it's just such a contrast to what it was, and and that's just a, a small part of the of the progress and the gifts of recovery for sure. Um, and uh, you know, I mean, things got just pretty ugly early on when I was a kid. So I needed something immediate. You know, I'm I'm a full-blown addict. Like I'm under no illusion that like if the sugar hadn't worked at like three years old, like I would have found a way to open up the liquor bottles. Like I would have, I would have made my way to heroin. Like I would have been on the street. I would have probably been a prostitute, at least a stripper. I mean, like just, you know, I, in the in the gutter living kind of thing. Um and instead, I did it sort of the more acceptable way, the more controlling way, the more um, I can get away with it in front of lots of people with nobody saying anything because nobody, you know, they make fun of fat people on the side, but unless you're really obnoxious, I did run into some of those over the course of the years. Um, but, you know, for the most part, it's like they just sort of pity you and like, oh, well, you know, and then they, I, you know, eternally heard like, you have such a pretty face. If only I had a dime for, I'd be a rich woman. Anyways, um, you know, the problem was, is that I was in a lot of pain and I had no way to reach out that I knew of. Um, I, it was, you know, like I hear all the time in the rooms, like wandering around feeling like, where, what am I missing? Like I'm missing something here. Something is not right. I mean, there were a number of things in my life and in my family that were not right that I couldn't speak of, but food, you know, food helped with that. It kept me quiet because if I'm busy with something in my mouth all the time, I can't speak up for myself. The extra padding on my body was a knife, knife, really nice way of saying, don't get near me, but if you do, I won't feel it anyway. So, you know, and it was a way of having boundaries, but not knowing without having, knowing how to have verbal boundaries or like um, boundaries with dignity or whatever you want to call it. Um, and, you know, it was a, it was a great, I could do things like be um, really funny all the time because the, the sooner I got you laughing, um, which I mean, I genuinely enjoy making people laugh, but I did it mostly at my own expense, you know? because I wanted to, I knew of course that you must be thinking about how fat I was because that was all I thought about. <laughs> so I was gonna make fun of it before you had a chance to, you know? And that also kept a nice emotional barrier from people because I wouldn't actually let you in. I mean, there are a few people that I, I did let in close. I mean, I would not have made it um, through, you know, grade school and high school and stuff without, I have some, core girlfriends there's five of us um and I was just thinking about them this morning because every year except for last year but every year we have a reunion because we all live in different places and I'm so excited to go and see them and you know when I spend time with them it's like being home like in a really safe home and that was actually something for me that I realized upon reflection that when I came into the rooms you know back in in 2002 there was something that felt safe about the rooms that I'd never remember feeling before. There was an openness and an acceptance. There was this crazy thing about how I'd say, you know, whatever, and you would like applaud and say, keep coming back. And I was like, that's crazy. But nobody else does that, you know, like 
I was so worried about doing everything right and not being my faults and not getting anything wrong. And, and I would tell you my weird thinking and things I did with food, which were all wrong. And you said, cool, like glad you're here. And I was just like, it just, I mean, that alone just sort of like warped my head. Um, so I know that the focus um, is on step eight and um, I'm so grateful for the steps. And I did look um, briefly, step eight. Step eight is one of those things that I think is funny. It's like the step before the step, you know, like originally there were six steps um, from the Oxford group that Bill took. And then he expanded like an accordion on them. And I think of it because probably being an addict, he understood that like, if we're gonna get there, we probably need to just do it one inch at a time. <laughs> And sometimes we need those prep before you do it kind of thing. And so, you know, step eight, um, the idea of becoming willing to make amends, um, you know, it's the willingness is definitely a really big key. And it's interesting. I'm, I'm currently in this course. It's outside of program, but it has to do with relationships. And there's so much about showing up in relationships of all kinds that requires a willingness, you know? And it says in the big book, like openness, honesty, and willingness are three keys, right? And um, there is something actually I think about quite often um, in my recovery. Um, I was raised basically in the steps um, in, through the big book and the AA 12 and 12 because my sponsors had started before there was an OA 12 and 12. But I came to know a little bit more about the OA 12 and 12 through going to step meetings. And step eight in particular, in that at least the first edition, it talks about um, wanting versus willing. And I don't know if it says it exactly in there, but what, what I've come, one way I come to describe it is that um, I learned that willing, willingness and wanting are not the same things because I can be willing to do things I don't want to do, you know, um, because willingness speaks to what is the greater desire, what is the greater want, which is usually what's more aligned with my higher power, like what is going to be of most service. Um, That's and 10 so, thank you. And so, you know, I often measure my recovery, like how many things did I do to, that I didn't quote unquote want to do? But yet they're the very things that feed the character that I've come to grow into, that my higher power sees me to be, that um, when I am being the best version of myself, that's exactly how I show up. Um, and really the things that I, you know, in theory don't want to do are the kind of things where I see like a little head, you know, kid in my head is like, I don't want to. You know, well, that's the kid self. That's my ego, whatever. That's not my mature self. And that's you know, definitely what I see throughout the steps and been my experience, it's like, this is about growing up, you know, they talk about, is it step six or step? Um, yeah, I think it's step six, whatever. This is what differentiates the men from the boys or whatever, you know, like it's about aligning myself to, to what my higher powers will is. And that brings me back to step three, that it has to be something that I believe cares about me. You know, I'm not kidding you that like, I think it was like eight years in recovery. I went, oh, that word is there. Like turn my will and my life over into the care of God. I was like, oh, 
So that means that if I'm thinking that my higher power is like pissed off or out to get, like, that's not something that cares about me. That's me. You know, like I do a really good job of that on my own. Um, I don't need any help with that. What I do need help with is to um, have an awareness of what, what is um, the best I can do in this moment, what is the best I can be in this moment, um, you know, what is the, the kindest intention I can hold here, what is, you know, the veil I can ask to be removed in this situation. And, you know, when it came to step nine for me in terms of amends, there were not a, a lot of amends I had to make it to other people. Most of them were um, amends to myself and like daily living amends. They weren't like big things. I didn't, you know, I, I often say that like I became a compulsive over and it worked for me for so long because it allowed me to have this illusion of control that like everything was fine. I was just fat, you know? And so I wasn't getting drunk and getting into fights. You know, I wasn't stealing um, things from people. I mean, if I stole food, it wasn't, I didn't steal it out of the grocery store, but that was only because I was so afraid that I'd get caught and then I'd get in trouble. And like, I was very much of my compulsive reading was about being invisible. Not sure how you do that in 300 plus pounds, but like, again, it was, it's so much of this illusion that I was under and the food allowed me to stay there because, you know, when I'm eating, like I'm in this chemical euphoria or whatever, and like, nothing is really real anyways, because don't, you know, I can like lay down a bed at night in a food stupor and like, like run my hands from my head to my toes and go, God, make me skinny. So I'm thinking I could wake up in the morning and be skinny, like, because that's kind of illusion I lived under. I was under the illusion that this extra body weight protected me in a way that it didn't, you know? And that was one of the keys for me when I finally became willing, just um, probably a year into abstinence um, to really get clear about my food, about my alcoholic foods, um, be really honest about that and, and let go of the weight because I was like, this isn't even doing what I want it to do. And why am I here if I'm not to, you know, get to a healthy body weight? Um, and so I, I say all that to say that, um, sorry for that noise. Um, that step eight for me is, is really like a daily practice of like, am, am I willing to um, continue down the road that's going to lead to a place of peace and freedom, which is always my highest goal, or am I fighting the willingness and wanting to do what's comfortable, what's familiar, um, and what seems safer? you know, and that, and usually it only seems safer because for whatever reason, I don't yet quite trust that my higher power can show up in this way, you know, um, and one of the gifts for me, you know, I came into program with a, a spiritual understanding of which I didn't think wanted anything to do with my food <laughs> or my weight, because clearly God has much bigger things to deal with than me. Um, my little things but but really it's become a lesson of like well if i believe that the same being created every single cell in my body 
then why wouldn't this being also want to be involved in every single element of my life? Um, That's five even, minutes. Thank you. Even in the parts of my life that I don't want to be in, you know? Um, sorry, is that, do I have like four and a half minutes left or am I done? Yeah. Five okay. minutes. Okay, right thank you. Um, you know, and that for me is why the practice of prayer and meditation every morning. I mean, I didn't, I remember my sponsor said to me, you have to pray and meditate every day. I was like, well, I can do the prayer thing. Like that I got, like, I know how to talk, not a problem. Um, but the meditation, I was like, I sit down, I fall asleep. She's like, I don't care. She's like, you get a timer. You set it for two minutes. You sit down, get quiet. And then the timer goes off and you get up. She's like, I don't care if you fall asleep. I don't care if your mind doesn't shut up, just do it. And it became that practice um, every single day showing up. No matter how crazy my head was, no matter if I fell asleep, like just do it, check it off the list. And over time, then it became this thing of like, oh, well, like if I can show up and like do this thing and eventually two minutes became five minutes, which became seven minutes, which became 10. And then at one point it would be like 25 minutes every day. And then now it's, it's changed a lot, you know, like I do shorter periods a couple of times a day or something like that, but it has become the most precious time. And when I wake up in the morning, in the morning, do I always want to do that? No, I often want to like turn off the alarm clock, crawl back under the covers, but I don't, because I don't want to miss that. Like, I don't, I, I can't even describe to you what it is. Like, I literally, like, I create a little meditation space. Whenever I travel, like, that's the first thing I do, whether it's a hotel room or somewhere I'm staying. Like, I look, where can I carve out, like, a little prayer and meditation space? When I go to plan my day, like, I'm going to go have this long weekend with my girlfriends coming up in a couple of weeks. Like, I'll ask them, like, so what are we up to tomorrow morning? And I literally, like, clock back. Okay, I'm going to need this much time. I got to make sure I get up, you know, so because I want to have that time. Like it's, it's the only, one of the only spaces that like I've learned, like, it's just okay to be like, I don't have to have it right. I don't have to know the answers. I don't have to be flawless. I can just be, um, and sometimes my head races. Sometimes I fall asleep. Sometimes I have these incredible enlightening experiences but it's like, I feel like it's a space where God meets me and, and a God of not my understanding and the God of my understanding, but certainly not something of my own making. And um, to me, that's what living step eight is about. It's like the willingness to just turn my head slightly to the side and be like, hmm, maybe that's possible. I'm willing to see what's here um, and trust that even if I don't know it, that like, God's still behind me um, and that whatever I have to face that I won't be doing it alone. So hopefully something I said was helpful. Thank you for letting me share. Beautiful, Colleen. Thank you so much. Uh, we will now open the meeting for questions or for three minute shares as this is a big book study Sharing in question should relate specifically to the chapter and step being studied this week. We ask you to accept this guideline in order to keep the meeting on track. If you'd like to share or ask a question, please raise your virtual hand, which is under reactions or star nine if you're on the phone. And our Zoom host, Melissa, will call the raised hands in order and ask you to unmute when it's your turn. 
Melissa, would you please set a timer for three minutes for each share and announce when time is up? If the speaker is asked a question, please allow three minutes for the answer. Okay, take it away, Melissa. Thank you, Melissa. So first up, we've got Amy B. Thank you, Team Melissa, and thank you so much, Colleen T. Um, especially thank you for the reminder about carving up a meditation space while on vacation. I have a question for you, though. I would love to hear like how you take your sponsees through step eight slash nine when you're working with them, and if that has evolved um, in your time in the program. Thank you so much for your service tonight. Yeah, thank you. Um, so I do. So one, I do it the way my sponsor led me, which is that actually when I did my four step, she had me create that list already, so that I had that when we got to step eight. Um, and really, usually it involves a fair amount of writing, like kind of going back and reflecting, like okay, and determining like is there like actual is there actual harm that's been done? Are there people that I specifically that specifically need to make amends to? And then everybody else, it's usually like a list of people I need to work on forgiving. Um, and then also distinguishing out people for whom living amends. Cause like for me in my life, like members of my family and stuff like that were living amends. Um, and so with that, I just do it the same way that I did. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Amy. And thank you, Colleen for the response. Next up, we've got Emily D. Go ahead. Thank you, uh, Team Tuesday, and hi, everybody. I'm Emily D. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Chicago, and I'm so glad to be here. Um, and I have a little bit of a preamble and then a question. Um, the preamble is I just need to be seen tonight. So see me. Hi, I'm here. <laughs> because I've had a crisis of willingness lately and I've put things before this way of living. I've put things before my conscious contact time. And I know, and I know it's not an intellectual exercise, but I know anything I put before that I'm going to lose. And lo and behold, I had a, what I like to call a fear binge today. And I think I've, I think I've had it. I think I'm ready to like recommit in a way, in a way. Um, I haven't left, but I haven't quite been here. So Colleen, I think, I think what I'm asking is like, you know, I really appreciate the distinguishing between willingness and wanting. I love the question of how many things did I do today that I didn't want to do. I think another question I've asked myself lately is like, what's the courageous thing to do? And quite frankly, what I just did felt courageous is like, look, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I'm just <laughs> trudging along. So in your in your years and and you know, nearly two decades of abstinence, can you tell us about a time when you just lost willingness and how you got it back? Um, if you did, maybe you haven't. <laughs> uh, you know, I've definitely <laughs> lost willingness. Thank you for that. Um, and I see you, so I'm glad that you're here tonight. Um, you know, I'm trying to think of a very specific example. In general, what I would say um, is I don't give it much thought. 
like I just noticed like well that's you know like I learned early on you know like the say in the meetings like thank you for sharing and my sponsor I think I don't even know said to me when like so when your head tells you blah 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 you go thank you for sharing <laughs> you know um and so you know my mind will like oh I don't you know blah, 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 blah. and there are, I guess two things for me one is that I see like I I'm picture myself as this like little kid who's like you know and I'm like well that's really unattractive (laughs) I'm a little older than that now um and the other thing is that I have a fair amount of routines and those save me like it's just like it's not even a negotiable thing anymore it's just like this is what we do and I've experienced enough of like the routine sustaining me in the times when my heart isn't in it. And then it's like my heart picks up and then that rides the wave. And then I go through another phase where it's like it becomes sort of this dance. Um, so that's something that I found. And, you know, I pick up the phone and I call people and I just say, listen, I don't, I'm not really willing to do this or I'm scared to do this. Uh, writing is a really big tool for me. And, um, and sometimes also that I will do is um, if I picture like that little kid or whatever, like I will try and ask her what she needs from me. Because if I don't get her buy-in, I'm going to be fighting myself the whole way through. So if there's a way to kind of meet that part of myself, I also do that. Awesome. Thank you so much, Emily. And thank you, Colleen, for the response. Next up, we've got Rowan. Go ahead. Hi, I'm Rowan. Oh, sorry, I put my thing on. Do not disturb. Uh, I'm a compulsive overeater and addict with everything. Um, yeah, step is definitely about willingness. Um, we have to be willing to correct and make right the damage that we did. And I was definitely a tornado and wreaked havoc on everyone. Um, And what I'm grateful for today is that I'm more willing to clean up the harms that I've done than I used to be. You know, I think it's just my pride and my ego has subsided somewhat and you know someone said to me like would you rather be right or would you rather be happy um and sometimes I would rather be right and sometimes I'd rather be happy but I think more so now than before I want to be happy and I don't want to sit in the pain and the guilt of what I did to other people, because that's going to cause me to want to use if I feel guilty that I did something that caused harm. Um, I recently restarted my day count because I was just not being rigorously honest. And um, I was still consuming things that caused an effect. And um, even though like, you know, in my head, I'm like, well, everyone in OA eats these things. Why can't I eat these things? You know, like they're healthy, but 
they're a drug for me. And that's why not all of us have the same abstinence because not all of us have the same chemical reactions to the same foods. And um, this is like an old story, like me trying to control and enjoy these certain foods and um, like fruit and nuts and protein bars. Like I literally, the other day I ate like six containers of raspberries and like, it's just, I can't eat fruit. I can eat like five apples at a time. Like I just, I love anything that's sweet. And I think that's like the hardest one because like, well, it's, it's fruit. Like it's just fruit, but I've been struggling with fruit for years, for years. I've been struggling with it. And it sounds so annoying when I say it out loud because I'm just like, it shouldn't be that serious. But for me, it is. And anything that's sweet makes me want more things that are sweet. And um, nuts, I mean, are literally like just deadly for me in any capacity. They can be raw, sprouted, you know, never born nuts. Thank you. Um I just, I'm on day two and I'm really grateful to be here and I'm doing a 90 and 90 and thanks for letting me share. Thank you so much, Rowan. Thank you for sharing. Next, we've got Stephanie M. Go ahead. Hi, I'm Stephanie M, Recovered Compulsive Overeater Exercise by my Colleen. Thank you so much. It was wonderful to hear your story and I've actually, listen to the body image workshop last year. Um, I wasn't there on the Zoom, but it was so helpful and I'm excited for it this year. Um, and just and thank you. It was, uh, there's so many things I related to, but I don't want to cross talk. Um, but I did want to talk about step eight because I, things are really good right now. Like I was running the other day and not in an exercise bulimic way, just on a run. It was like a nice, healthy run. And it was, the sun was shining and I had a really good song on. And I just was so overwhelmed with how happy I am. Like I almost cried. I was, I was like, I'm so happy. And, um, and one of the things that that has to do with is that, um, my, one of my best friends who I stopped being friends with for four years, uh, she and her best friends again. And, um, and a large part of that is step eight. And I never actually made an amends to her when I was on my step nine and she didn't come onto my list. Cause at the time I still thought that like, we couldn't be friends and there was no reason to even bring her up. But, uh, she reached out to me last year and having done my step eight and seeing my pattern and seeing that most of the people that I needed to make an amends to were people that I rejected before they could reject me. Like I knew as soon as she came back into my life, like how to, like what had happened, what my part was anyway, and how to um, hear her when she told me how she felt and how to explain to her how I felt knowing that like it had nothing to do with what she had done. Um, it was so much of my old stuff and my um, fixed ideas and and I am just so grateful for that experience and the opportunity too to like have done an eight step and a ninth step, but then continue to grow in my relationships and make new amends and build things and learn how to be an adult in relationships. Cause I wasn't, I was very much like you wronged me and now you're dead to me. Um, Cause that's the safest way. 
and that's you know how I how I operate and so um I don't know it's just cool and then I, of course like I'm an addict so I had this thought of like I'm so happy I'm so happy I can't believe how happy I am and then immediately I was like I'm gonna get hit by a car right like clearly I'm gonna die because I'm not allowed to be this happy and I have a scarcity mentality and everything's about to go wrong um but I didn't I'm still here uh and it's just uh, I'm everything is because of this program and because of my relationship with my higher power that I got from this program and um and you know the fact that I'm not trying to control everyone and everything which means that I'm like open to new experiences and new people and it's just really cool so that's where I am um and I think that's all I have to say thanks so much Thank you awesome. so much, Stephanie. We will now stop the recording for unrecorded questions or shares. Melissa, can you please stop the recording?